1: And a pleasant good afternoon to everyone out there in Irish Breakdown land. I am Vince D'Addario, and I am the football analyst here at Irish Breakdown. That guy right there, that's Ryan Roberts. He is the recruiting coordinator. Is a recruiting director? I'm going to make sure I get the title right. I think it's director. Director. Director, okay.
2: you got it. Yep. <laughs> All right,
1: he's the recruiting director at uh, Irish Breakdown, and it's the two of us today. We, uh, we are Sands' Brian Driscoll, who's the publisher at Irish Breakdown. And uh, we both got a text. It's going to be the two of you. And we're like, all right, we got this. So uh, it is a Friday free for all mailbag, everybody. So make sure you get your questions in. Uh, I will say that if you are a a longtime listener, a longtime fan of the Irish Breakdown podcast, I think it goes without saying that Ryan and I, our answers will not be as detailed as Brian Brian is a much more detail-oriented human being and uh, so we need questions we need you guys to pump out the questions for us and I we look we look very much forward to answering them uh, as well so uh, we are uh, it's gonna be a lot of fun so let's let's just jump right in we ready all right here we go We can always count on John A1 to jump in with some questions so here we go John says how much of a lead?" Does Jacob Lacey have at the nose tackle position? Is there a real threat to him if he's on his game? You want to try to take a stab at that one first?
2: Yeah, yeah, and then I would love to hear your your um your little context from yesterday, Vince. Obviously, checking in on the uh, first practice. I, I I would think, especially because obviously we heard that Howard Cross is kind of cross train tra- uh, cross training, excuse me, at a couple different spots. I feel like Jacob Lacey has to be the assumed front runner for the job, right? I would now, agree. obviously. He's not going to be. It's not just going to be handed to him. We still got talented guys like Gabriel Rubio and Aiden Kiana, Anna that are behind him that are going to you know test the uh, the, the limits of that position. But I, I would say that I think that he really fits stylistically into how Notre Dame wants to run the nose tackle position because I do think that Jacob has a really dynamic first step. I think that he could be kind of that one gapping nose. So I would say that he is the front runner for the position. But there's definitely going to be a battle there. Like it's not just going to be handed to him. He has to take it in my opinion.
1: Yeah, no, I, I completely, <clears throat> excuse me. I completely agree with that. I think, um, I, I think you nailed the guys that are going to be, you know, in contention for that spot. And, and again, I, you know, Marcus Freeman said it yesterday in his press conference that, you know, they're going to be at least eight deep on the defensive line. So, I mean, there, there's going to be multiple guys rotating, depends on if they're a three front or a four front, what that's going to look like. So, um, you know, I, I think you hit the nail on the head. I, I think, um, you know, Howard cross is going to get an opportunity there as well. Um, I think he might get a little nose, little three technique cross training as well. So, um, it's going to be fun to see kind of how that shakes out. I, there's a lot of question marks about the defensive line, to be honest with you. And I think nose might be the lead position of question right now. Um, and, and again, the cross training thing is, I think, the most important part because you're going to see guys playing multiple positions, uh, depending on what they're trying to accomplish, who the competition is that they're playing against, you know, all of that. So I think it's going to be a lot of fun.
2: Yeah, no, I think I think it's going to be interesting, and I think that you, it's really too fun, Vince, because I mean, you're going to have. Howard Cross is a potential who's, what, like six foot, 270 pounds. You're going to have Jacob Lacey, who's another smaller guy, around like 6'1", 6'2", 285. And then you've got Gabriel Rubio, who's the biggest guy. It's like 6'5", yeah. 290. Huge. Aiden's a big boy, too. What's he, like 6'2", 6'3", like 3'10", 3'15". So
1: they got to lot of, at 3'10",
2: yeah. 3'10", yeah. A lot of different body types, which makes it a really fascinating kind of battle because, I mean, I would expect there to be a few different – noses that will just play just because they kind of bring something different to the table. But it's going to be interesting to kind of just compare them because they're just stylistically so different than one another.
0: We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors. According to Indeed data, Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power
3: to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and NA member FDSE.
1: Let's move on to our next question. John says, getting Joe Wilkins back is huge. He's made 100% recovery. Is now is he now the lead at W or is he pushing one of the younger players I don't know that I would say anybody's the lead for anything, to be perfectly honest with you. I think having him back is huge. We talked about this a little bit yesterday when mm-hmm. we were going over our, our practice report. You know, having six scholarship receivers is going to make a huge difference uh, because you've got two quarterbacks that are competing for the starting job and they're going to rotate between the ones and the twos. And you've got six receivers who all can legitimately play. And so they're going to be throwing to guys that they should be throwing to. Right. And you're not going to have like the random walk on, you know, in that fifth or sixth spot. So I think having him back just from the spring standpoint is huge. I don't, again, I wouldn't put anybody as far as, as being a lead. Look, I I think Braden Lindsey is probably going to be a starter, uh, Mm -hmm. but his, his reps are going to be limited, right? He's not going to be a 60 rep guy. I wouldn't think. Right. Uh, I, I honestly, I think the, the leader in the clubhouse, right now of guys that are healthy is Lorenzo styles. Like I I think he's got the the biggest edge on anybody to, uh, to be a starter. So I wouldn't put Joe as a leader. I would put him in the mix to, for playing time right now.
2: Yeah. Yeah. No, I I agree. And I I think that it is big for Joe to have the spring, right. For, I mean, for a couple different reasons, one for his own sake of trying to find a role in the offense, because I mean, it's just, obviously, you have a couple of veterans coming back with him and Braden Lindsey, who will be in the spring, and then Avery Davis, who, of course, is still recovered from the injury. But those guys are going to be pushed. You mentioned Lorenzo yep. Styles. You can mention uh, Deion Colsey. I know Brian said that Gene Thomas looked real good yesterday on the podcast. So there are some young guys that are coming, man, and I, I definitely don't think that it's assumed right now that Joe Wilkins is going to gain the – you know or be the lead for the, for the starting spot at W – but it is good for him, one for depth purposes for the spring, because obviously that was a that was a position that was gonna be a little light. But also it gives him an opportunity to compete. And he has obviously some experience coming back. And it's big for the room in the spring. Because obviously you're gonna have Avery Davis, who's gonna have a voice, but he's not gonna be participating, having him and brain Lindsay to help get these young guys going a little bit, it's going to be huge for the team just in general. So I wouldn't say it's necessarily that he was going to be able to take the lead because he's playing, but he obviously gives himself an opportunity to do so with, with his presence.
1: Well, it's a Friday free for all mailbag, which means everything is on the table. And I know Tommy has asked this question multiple times, so I'm going to throw it up because he's asked it a bunch and I want, I frankly, I want to answer it. Um, he says, uh, maybe today (laughs) because he's asked it a bunch and I'm always out by the time we get down to it. But he says, Vince, what are your thoughts on baseball's new rules? So really the only rule that I believe went into effect as far as on the field for this season is the universal DH. Um, and I'm all for it. I never used to be that guy, but I am now because I think the, the prowess of pitchers at the plate has steadily gone downhill over the last few years and watching a pitcher struggle at the plate is painful. It's painful. I don't like it. I would much rather have a guy who's going to get up there that a pitcher actually has to, you know, game plan around, has to actually pitch to I'm okay with that personally. Um, it takes a lot of the strategy out of the game from the manager's perspective. When you have a DH, there's not, you're not going to see as many double switches. You're not going to see a lot of that down the stretch. And so I personally enjoy the the X's and O's of, of baseball managing. Like, I, I really enjoy that, you know, with the double switches and things. And so I'm going to miss strategy. that. Yeah, absolutely. I'm going to miss yeah. that part of it. But from a just a playing the game standpoint, uh, I, I'm happy that pitchers aren't going to be hitting anymore.
2: I heard a couple of those rules, man, that obviously didn't get implemented. But did you like the robo ump thing and stuff like oh, that? Oh yeah, what way
1: is- way against that. I mean, look, I'll give an umpire a hard time more than anybody, but just you can't take that out of the game. You you can't take right. the 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 personal the 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 error even. You just, you can't mm-hmm. take that out of the game. I'm sorry, um, I, I will always be against the robo umps um you know i i don't like the expanding the size of the bases they, they talked about that and they, they said that that's a safety thing you know it's going to be like softball where they've got the orange base you know that's like out of bounds yeah. that you actually i i nope, i'm not a big fan of that um i actually don't like the shift um they, they talked about they'll, they'll have the option next year i believe to ban the eliminate shift. eliminate it yeah yeah I, I don't like the shift i mean look I think about how I coach kids up. Right. And we're in the cage and we're like, hey, man, line drives up the middle, line drives up the middle. That's what I want. And, you know, in a big spot, you see a guy hit the ball right up the middle. And there's a guy that like that. That's that's not baseball to me. And I I realize the analytics of it. I get it at the high school level. We don't have those kind of analytics. So we play it straight up. But um, the shift, I, I don't know. I just don't like the shift. Call me old school, but I'm not a big fan of the shift.
2: Yeah. Well, I mean, it takes a little, a little way from just the skill of it, right? Because yes. obviously, like you're saying, hit it up the middle, go the other way mm-hmm. against the shift. Like it, I mean, I love the human element to baseball because for me, baseball yeah. is a, a much slower paced game. So it's about strategy, right? Yeah, it's about absolutely. The, the next step. And I'm I live right side of Philadelphia. So I have been a Phillies fan my entire life. So I've always had pitchers hitting and double switches and that, that type of strategy. And, I mean, what are we just going to eliminate managers at some point? Yeah. Because they don't really have to make any decisions sooner, Seriously. right? Like- no,
1: you're not wrong. And I, a lot of times, even coaching high school, we have the DH. And so once the lineup is set, it's like, well, we just kind of roll here, you know? And, and obviously you make pitching changes and things like that. But in high school, your pitchers are your best players anyway. So you're basically taking your pitcher and you're probably putting them at shortstop or whatever. So, um, but yeah, it, it takes the strategy out of it, which I don't like. But from a viewer standpoint, oh, man, watching pitchers flail up there at the plate is just embarrassing. <laughs> it's embarrassing, it man.
2: It's just, <laughs> oh, Bar- Bartola Cologne, man, worst <laughs> I've ever seen. So bad. Oh, yes. my God.
1: Oh. I'm with you on that one. So great question, Tommy. I'm glad I could finally get to it for you again. It's a Friday free for all. So here we go. John says, can the 22 O-line group match the 20 O-line level of play? Is that fair to ask?
2: Interesting question. Okay, so 20, obviously, we're talking about. Liam Eikenberg, Robert Hainsey, Aaron oh. Banks. It's a really good group. Jared Patterson uh, and Tommy Kramer. I almost forgot about Tommy. Um, it's. I mean, that was a really good group, man. And I think the one thing that they had, obviously, is they were very experienced. That was a very yep. senior-laden team. I mean, you had... Of course, Jared, who was only a Richard sophomore, but even he was a second-year starter at that point, right at center. So, can it match it? I think it can get close because I think talent level. There, I mean, they might be have more talent across the board on this the year's
1: given talent. Yeah,
2: right, right, <clears throat> exactly. But the thing about offensive line play is that the longer you play with and with the same guys, that's where that cohesion works in, right? That's where that development comes. I think more 2023, we can really start them becoming maybe a top five offensive line. I think on the last show, I said, like, I think they could be a top 10 offensive line in the country this year. But I really think that experience and playing time is just so important for offensive line. I don't know if they'll quite match it, but I think it's going to be close because I do think that they have more natural ability from left tackle all the way to right than they did in that in that group. It was just that group was just so experienced.
1: Right. Right. No, I think I think that's a really good point. Is it possible that they could get there? Yeah, it's possible. There's a better coach in place than there was in 20, and and I, sure. I think that that could make a big difference. Now, if we were talking 23 to 20, I think that's a much better comparison. But it's still super early for 22. We we don't even know officially who the five starters are going to be. We can guess, um, but I look. I, I really like what I saw yesterday um, and and what I saw on video because. Uh, our buddy Chris Summers was the one taking video of the offensive line. But I could hear Harry He stand where I was, right? And so I like where things are going. So there's a possibility for sure. But you're going to get most of those guys back next year too, which is fantastic. So um, yeah. I, I think that the trend is is it where I like it. Will they be as good? We'll see. It's going to be kind of a wait and see. But, yeah, there's a possibility for sure. And I think it is absolutely fair to ask.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, it's a, it's a great question. I just, I mean, again, like, I think the 2023 group, when we're talking about Blake Fisher being a junior, Joe Alt being a junior, Rocco Spindler maybe moving into the starting lineup as a junior, you're talking about Andrew Kristofik maybe, be, maybe being back for a fifth year. Like, I think that's yeah. where that step gets taken from potential top 10 offensive line to top five. But like you said, anything's possible with the talent level up front and coach Easton coaching.
1: Right, exactly. Absolutely correct. Hunter H says, hey, Brian and Vince. And we'll just substitute uh, Ryan for Brian. Uh, it rhymes anyway. Yesterday, you guys were saying the first thing Coach Stuckey taught was how to get off press coverage. Why didn't the previous wide receiver coach teach that? I think Brian and I had asked that question to ourselves and to the abyss um, multiple times. And I don't think that there's an answer that we know of, to be honest with you. Um, maybe it was taught, but it wasn't emphasized. Uh, let's, let's put it that way. We talked a lot yesterday about what your emphasis is, and because that was one of the first drills that they worked on, clearly that is an emphasis, right? It clearly was not an emphasis in the past because they were not good at it and it was across the board. It wasn't just one or two guys. So um, it's just it' not what was emphasized. And I, I, without sitting down and asking Del Alexander why he didn't coach that up and why it wasn't an emphasis, I don't know the answer. And we're we just we're going to be stuck speculating.
2: Yeah. It's so bizarre, right? Because I mean, I know you have a high school football coaching background. I coached high school football too. It's just like yeah. that's it's just a thing you do every single day, you know, the <laughs> exactly. deep press. Like it's yeah. not like it's, it's not like it's something that's like super advanced. Like that's just right. something
1: you teach. So yes, it's just very confusing on that one. I'm I'm with you, man. I I don't know. I don't know. Ryan and Vince, is it too much to ask for an offense that will pound you on the ground and burn you through the air? The Short answer is no, it's not too much to ask. And based on Marcus Freeman's comments at his press conference, he wants a team that can run the ball and stop the run. So I think there's going to be an emphasis on pounding you. Uh, I think that is going to be an emphasis. And no matter whether it's Drew Pine or whether it's Tyler Buckner, they have the ability to burn you, excuse me, through the air as well. So. Uh, it's not too much to ask. I think the pieces are there. I think the weapons are there. It just all has to come together.
2: Yeah, and I, I think you saw a changing of ideology of offense last year in the bowl game with with uh, Coach Reese taking over, you know, with without any hindrance to how he calls plays, right? So I think that there's definitely going to be more of an emphasis to create explosive plays, to your point, Skyler, and I think that you will see that the ground game is going to be very dependent on, I mean, one of the biggest things obviously is offensive line play was not up to par last year. And now they have coach Easton coming back in theory, your offensive line should be improved. You certainly have talent at running back with Chris Tyree and Audrey Estime and Logan Diggs and that group and Jerry price coming in. So the, the ground game should be improved. And I think there is going to be more of a point of emphasis of be, of creating explosive plays in the passing game, just based upon coach Reese, really kind of putting his stamp on this offense, hopefully.
1: Right. Absolutely. John has another one. He says, is Cam Hart in a similar situation to Kyle Hamilton last spring with his injury, or is it different because of other factors? It's a different position, the current skill level, et cetera. You want to tackle this one first?
2: Yeah. Um, is it a similar position? Um, I, I wouldn't say exactly. Cause I mean, Kyle Hamilton was going into the third year and obviously he could still get better as well. So I'm not saying that he can't get any better and he doesn't need spring. But he's more of a closer to a finished product, right? Like you don't want him to to have an injury in the spring where it would be a recurring issue. Cam Hart is obviously recovering from an, uh, an offseason surgery, and he is a player that can still get better. He's still only entering his right. second year as a starting player. So I do think it's a little different, John. I think that there is – I understand where you're – your mindset's coming from, and why it would be similar because you know being held out and defensive backs, and and I totally get it. But I think Cam Hart is in a different spot in his career than what Kyle was last year. If that makes sense.
1: Hmm. Absolutely. I, I think that's they. They're not the same player. I mean, Kyle Hamilton was an All American type player. Cam Hart's not there yet, right? So I think the developmental piece, it would have been beneficial for Cam Hart to be there this spring. I mean, now it gives other guys opportunities, obviously, and that that's awesome. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I, it, it's not, it's similar in the fact that he's a returning starter and he doesn't really have anything to prove per se. I mean, he's going to start next year, right? Uh, regardless of the fact that he's out in the spring, but I think that might be where the similarities end, to be honest with you. At least that's the way I see it. I, I think there's more room for improvement for Cam Hart than there would have been for, for Kyle Hamilton. Um, but I, I see where you're coming from, John, for sure. Uh, but I, 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 personally wish Cam Hart was out there, but yeah. And I think uh, one of the last ones from John, if Tyler Buckner is as good as you think he will, uh, he is, will his play the next two seasons match or pass the impact of Brady Quinn breaks? What breaks?
2: <laughs> <That's> <laughs> I love that,
1: John. I love that. Great.
2: I mean, I mean, obviously Brady, well, you know, going into his first year under coach Weiss had played a little bit of football the last two years, right? Like I think the year before that, he threw like 18 touchdowns. So like he had played football, he was entering his junior year. So it's a little bit of a different situation, but I think that ultimately, especially in year two of Tyler Buckner as a starter, so we're talking 2023, I think that the impact could be higher because you're talking about a guy that's not only going to have the ability to stretch defense through the Uh, as a passer but also the running game right because Brady Brady was a good athlete but he was still a pocket quarterback he wasn't a guy that was going to do design run and some work out of structure a ton Tyler gives you a different type of impact so I do think that long term over the next couple years it could possibly be better than Brady from a from the, the perspective that he can impact the game in different ways and more ways than a Brady Quinn can so I think the upside is there for sure obviously we need to see it you know become tangible this year but i think that the talent level of tyler buckner is certainly there so i expect it to happen uh, especially with this coaching staff that has been assembled
1: got a good one from uh q kibbs he says what non-starter do you think will have the biggest production on both sides of the ball i'm going with bauer and evans that's an interesting take right there at the end um this is yeah. a good one. And since I was reading the questions and I I, I kind of got a head start on this one. So I'll let you think for a <laughs> second, but um, I'm going to go with Prince Colley on defense because I'm not sure he's going to be a starter this year. Right. But I think he's going to get a lot of playing time. So I'm going to go Prince Colley on defense and then offense. I'm going to go Logan Diggs. And I know that might be a layup, uh, but he's probably not going to start unless they're in, you know, two running back sets. Uh, you know, I think Chris Tyree is going to be the starter. And so Logan Digs is technically not a starter, and I think he's going to have a breakout season. So I will go with Kali and Diggs.
2: It's a good one. It's a good one. Defensively, I am going to go Justin Adamolola because we've talked about this a little bit, right? There's going to be a big end in theory that is not Justin Adamolola. They're going to keep him at Viper behind Isaiah Foskey. So he had production last year. I think he had four or five sacks as a backup, and I expect him to kind of do similar progress this year as the backup to isaiah foskey although i think he's going to play a higher volume higher volume of snaps because i think that they're just going to work him in you know to the big end role at times so they can get both right. of those guys on the field I, yeah so he'd be my guy on defense i think that's kind of like a, a cheating a little bit but I, i'll i'll take it for now <laughs> off offense is tough man offense is tough i, yeah. I guess i would go with one of the running backs, right? Like whether it is Logan Diggs or Rodriguez as the backup, if Chris Tyree is the starter, like I feel like there it's going to be a back by committee approach because I don't think that Chris Tyree is the guy that you're going to give 20 carries a game to, right? So
1: absolutely. Yep. I,
2: I would I'll defer to whoever the second string running back is. I'll stick with Logan Diggs as my guy there.
1: Okay. I like it. Great minds. We're right there. I like it. I like it a lot. Tommy Guns. If the football gods, uh, the, if the if the football over gods picked you guys and said, guys, ND is going to go 11-1 and 1 in 2022. Your job is to pick the one loss. Who are you picking? This is a good question. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I don't want to pick. Do I have to pick? I know. I don't want to pick a loss either. I hate doing that. Um, I just want to pull up the schedule here because I want to make sure that. Mm -hmm. Because there's two different ways you could go with this. So let let me, I want to talk about my, my, my thought process here, right? I think a lot of people will be like Ohio state. That's obviously the one that Notre Dame has the biggest chance of losing. They could be the best team on the schedule, et cetera. Mm
2: -hmm.
1: I think I might go a different direction and pick a different team because if they can beat Ohio state in game one in Columbus, the momentum that that is going to give Notre Dame and the clout that they will get nationally is going to be massive. It's going to be absolutely massive because I don't think anybody expects Notre Dame to win that game, right? So then you got to pick a different one. And I almost feel like I want them to lose just kind of not a no-name game, but like, you know, if they can beat Ohio State, they can beat Clemson, right? They can beat Southern Cal. And then maybe they lay an egg to, I don't know, BYU in Vegas or something like that. You know what I mean? I still feel like they will have a lot of momentum for the season because they've got some pretty good teams on the resume. If that makes sense.
2: No, it does. I, I think I am going to defer to Ohio state, even though I was trying to do the same thing. Like I was trying to pick <laughs> a game that wasn't Ohio state. Cause I just think it is the obvious one. The two biggest games on the schedule, in my opinion are, I mean, as far as the better te- best teams coming back or Ohio state's obviously in game one. And then when they uh, play, Clemson at Notre Dame Stadium November 5th, right? Like, those are the two best teams on the schedule. Notre Dame has beaten Clemson already over the last few years, although I know some people put an asterisk next to that because of Trevor Lawrence not playing, but it's fine. For now, we'll just say they they beat Clemson. I would say I would – because this is my struggle, Vince. Like, I would rather than beat Ohio State because of the the pertinence to recruiting, right? Like, my mind is recruiting for a second. Like, they have done a good job – asserting themselves as that Midwest power right and Ohio State obviously in a similar region there they have a lot they're going to be targeting a lot of similar recruits in the north northeast so I would I would love for them to beat Ohio State because I think that that really I mean especially with guys like carnell tate that is on the fence between oh, yeah. ohio state and notre dame like that's just a big big moment for notre dame so i'm gonna say hopeful if, I, if there's gonna be one loss i'm gonna say it's not ohio state i guess i'll go with clemson is the loss okay because i really i really think that there's more long-term implications as far as recruiting and just owning the north if you are able to beat ohio state than if you beat clemson
1: okay i like it i like where your head's at John has a really good question here that I'm not going to answer because I feel like this takes some studying and I feel like we could do an entire show on this, Ryan. So John says, if Jack Swarbrick called Irish breakdown to help build a dream schedule for 23 choosing 11 opponents, who are you putting on the schedule home and away? And so I'm going to defer on this one because I would really want to sit down and think about it because there are, certain parameters that notre dame has to be under right you've got your Mm -hmm. perennial uh people that you play usc stanford right and then you've got the five acc games and so then what do you do with those non-conference games so i'm gonna hold off on this one because i guarantee you brian is gonna want to answer this one too i think this one would be a lot of fun to maybe kick around sometime. so
2: right Brian should write an article about this. This would be a fun topic, I think. I
1: actually Brian, I wrote you're it listening down. Listening so. out there. Yeah. I, you're listening yeah, out I, there, Brian. <laughs> I'm telling you. So I, I wrote it down. So we'll see what happens. Jojo Pineda says Happy Friday, guys. IB Nation and Vince's favorite hour. No doubt about that. The offer to Eli Bowen is it more to keep Peyton in, or is he a good corner recruit?
2: It's a great question, JoJo. I'll say this, okay? Me and Brian have talked about this before that, you know, we have talked extensively about Peyton Bowen seeming to be a little, I don't want to say flaky, but, you know, he's a commit, obviously, in the 2023 class out of Denton Geyer. And he's a top 50 type of recruit. And it's, you know, he has been not very open about taking visits. And it was kind of something where, like, Keon Keeley has been open and said, like, hey, guys, I'm committing. I'm also going to take visits. Justin red out of Las Vegas. I'm I'm committing. I'm also going to take visits. It was always a part of the plan. That plan was not as much on the forefront with Peyton Bowen. So there's left some uneasiness just from an outside perspective of how committed he might be. Now, this is a big step because I think getting Eli, at least offering him and and getting him involved with the Notre Dame class is very interesting because he plays at the same school and he is a player where, you know, you're going to you're, you're obviously the, the brother relationship. So, Jojo, I think that it is based upon the fact that Eli is a talented recruit. I don't think this is just because it is Peyton's brother. But I do think it, it helps in Notre Dame's favor that this is a situation that they are in and a situation that they can kind of curtail to their, their process.
1: That's a great answer. I love it. And, of course, JoJo has to ask the most common recruiting question that we have here at Irish Breakdown. No offense, JoJo, I am not saying it that way. Everybody's wondering, so I have selected you as the token question asker of this question. I know it's still early. How are we looking for Tate and more? Is he visiting soon? Can't wait for the staff to close on.
2: Yeah, no, and Jojo, another good question. I will say I apologize if everybody. I think there's a lawnmower that's going outside right now, which is fantastic <laughs> timing. Um, so, um, how are we looking for for Tate and Moore? And there goes the lawnmower again. Um, they're in a great they're in a great position for Dante Moore right now, Jojo. I would not want to be in any other team's position right now. I think that we'll have clarity on Moore's commitment probably in the next month or so because I think he does want to make a spring decision. Carnell Tates, I mean, and we talked about this a little bit on the premium message board to, uh, for like an in-depth look on it, but he, is a, he had a really great visit. I'll leave it at that. And I think that Notre Dame did narrow the playing field with Ohio State. So they are firmly in that recruitment. And yet I feel personally very good about where they are with Dante Moore. And I know Brian does as well.
1: God country, Notre Dame and barbecue. Marcus Freeman said he wants to identify uh, or he wants the identity to be running the ball and stopping the run. Do you believe he already knows the strength of the offense will be running the running game, or is that just his goal for the team? Is that his point of emphasis? It would make sense, in my opinion, because that has been a good recipe for success when we can run the ball and stop the run. Also, I think it's kind of rare for a coach to talk about the specific of an identity this early. Very refreshing to have a coach know what he wants and take about or talk about it in plain English. I think that... And he's very clear about this. And he was very open about the fact that he is leaning on Tommy Reese offensively. He is leaning on him for the quarterback position race uh, that he is learning as much as he can about the offense every day, which I appreciate. I I appreciate the candor. He's not just walking in the door and saying that he's got all the answers, which I I think is great. And it's obviously true as well. So um, I think that he sees that as a recipe for success. And I think he sees that, and he talked about Harry Hestan and what a breath of fresh air that is and having him there and what he brings to the table. So I think he has a lot of faith in the offensive line. I think he knows. What he knows about Tyler Buckner is that Tyler is a good runner of the football. He knows he's got a good room, the running back room, right? I think that he still needs to learn a little bit about the identity of, of the offense, right? But I also think he, as far as stopping the run, no one's more familiar with this defense than he is. Right. So I think he knows that that can be a strength of this defense, too. So um, he was open about the fact that that's what he sees right now. But you never know what each team is going to be as well. So I think it's I think it's great to put that out there. I have no problem with that whatsoever, but I think there's still plenty of room to evolve uh, offensively.
2: Yeah, no, no, I think it's a, I mean, it's a consistent r- recipe for success, right? That usually Absolutely. if you run the football well, you stop the run, you're in a good situation because it doesn't just affect the, the, just the running portion of the game. It also short, can shorten a game, keep your defense off the field. you know, uh, wear down on, on the opposing defense. So there's a lot of layers to why run the football is important and stopping the run is important. So I think those things are just, I mean, the g- game is ever evolving, but I think, the teams that usually run the football better and stop the run are usually the more successful teams, even in today's
1: game. Absolutely. Jeff Fluke, most likely to break out this year. Lindsay or Colsey? I think with Stuckey as his coach, Lindsay will break out. I'll let you go first.
2: Yeah. I mean, I hope it's Braden because I think that he brings a lot of different skill set than what's – I mean, because, like, I think that – I think that there are wide receivers on this roster that have really good speed. Like, I think that styles can run for sure, but Brayden Lindsay brings just a next gear, right? Like he is the fastest wide receiver on the roster. So if he, there was a question earlier about the ability to create explosive plays Braden Lindsey can create some explosive plays. Now, traditionally speaking, if the offense was consistent to what we've seen over the last few years, I would say Deion Colsey because it traditionally runs through what is an X receiver into the boundary. Notre Dame calls it their W. That would be the guy that I would say you need in the passing game, but I really think that there's going to be kind of a changing to how the offense is structured a little bit this year, a lot more RPO action, a lot more deep shots. Like I think that there's going to be explosive plays to be made. So in this one, Jeff, I actually hope that it is Brayden Lindsay because it's his last shot, right? And Deion Colsey's is only a sophomore. I think that Deion Colsey's future is bright, and I think that he will have a really good season as well. But I think that Braden Lindsey is a very important player for this offense to create, to create explosive plays in 2022.
1: Well, And I think a lot of people have forgotten about Braden Lindsay, to be perfectly honest with you. I mean, he came in with a lot of fanfare as a speed receiver and all these different things. And I think that he has not reached his potential, right? And I, I think we can all agree on that. It's nothing against the kid. It's just I don't think he was coached well enough. And I don't think the offense used him and used his abilities enough, right? And so I think he has a great opportunity to break out, especially the manner in which we saw them practicing with him yesterday and doing some of the drill work that they were doing. It's like, okay, they're going to put an emphasis on speed and they're putting an emphasis on getting the ball into the hands of guys who can make plays. And so I think that that is setting up Braden Lindsay to be a breakout player because they're actually going to utilize his skill set. And I, and, I, and I think part of that is also – the Chancey Stuckey effect, right? I mean, he's going to coach the crap out of this kid, and he's going to get everything out of him. I mean, what was the two fastest wide receiver times at the Combine where Baylor guys are right up there, right? <laughs> yep, yep. I, and look, he was only the coach for one year, right? But I think he knows how to coach speed. I'll say that. So uh, I, I think that it's a good pairing with those two. I think it's also a good pairing to have Tommy Reese with the hands off and he's able to use his weapons the way he wants to use them. And so all of those things combined, I, I agree. I'm going to go with Braden Lindsay as well. Domer Grizz, happy Friday. Follow up to the linebacker show. Does Junior tule Alamaca bring anything to the mic position as a freshman that J.D. and Bo don't as upperclassmen?
2: I mean, they, he brings – I mean, and I think that we, we talked about this a little bit on the message board from the practice report. He brings the most physically imposing as far as, like, he is a stocky, physically put-together kid, even though he's only a freshman. he. I mean, what was he, like 240 pounds, right, 240-something pounds? Like, he is a densely built kid. So yeah. he brings, I think, a little more thump than both of them. But, again, this is a conversation where playing time and experience does matter. Right, so can Junior come in and compete? Absolutely, can he compete? But I don't, uh, sure, but I don't necessarily think that he's going to unseat JD or Bo at least as a true freshman because I just think that there is things at any position where the playing time matters, right? The experience matters, and I really do think that people are kind of underestimating JD. I mean, who just had a hundred plus tackles after being thrust into the starting spot after Maris Loefel looked like he was going to be the breakout star, so. I don't think anybody in this is a foregone conclusion that they are going to be the guy because I think that JD is going to have to compete as well to be the guy against some of the talent that they have. But I do think that Junior brings uh, Domer a little bit more thump because I just think he's a little a little better put together as far as just being a bigger, denser dude. But I don't know if I necessarily think that he's going to unseat or challenge this year. But I think that he's going to you know, just kind of I think it's it's this year is about maturation and about inclimatization, right? Like he needs to kind of get implemented into the weight room, get implemented into the practice facility, and, and get those reps because I think that his future is bright, but I don't know if necessarily he brings more to the table this season than J.D. or Bo.
1: Domer also wants to know, is Donovan Heinish a summer enrollee? I haven't heard his name much, but with so many beasts already on the defensive line, do you expect he'll ever make an impact? Kurt benefited from the no depth early on in his career.
2: It's an interesting. I mean, so he is not enrolled, right? He was not. I don't think right. he was one of the early enrollees, so he is not. Um, it, it's a great question because, like you said, Kurt kind of walked into a more advantageous position with there just being a lack of depth. I yeah. think that Donovan is going to have a tougher time. I am kind of interested to see Donovan because he's not the same player as as his brother, right? He's a little longer, a little not quite as as dense as Kurt. So Kurt was like a true nose. I think Donovan could play a couple of different positions up front, which Notre Dame wants to be more multiple under coach Freeman and now coach golden with how their fronts kind of look. So I think he's an interesting long-term player, but I, I definitely don't think that he plays as much, especially early on as Kurt, because like you said, Kurt fell into a pretty, pretty good situation for playing time early.
1: Yeah. And I, and I think that his work ethic is going to be the key, right? He's not going to, he's not going to get the early playing time that his brother did because of all of the reasons that you just stated uh but his relentless work ethic that i believe that coach elston believes that he has right and and from that family etc he'll get on the field I, i i unless injuries derail his career you know he might not get on the field until he's a fourth year player or a fifth year player right but I have a feeling that he's going to stick it out and he's going to work his butt off to get on the field. Right. And so again, I'm, I'm with you. I want to see what he looks like and how he looks in comparison to those other guys. Uh, But I do not see him, you know, breaking through as a freshman and probably not even as a sophomore. I think that would be too much. Right. But a couple of years in the weight room and with his work ethic Doing all, always doing the right thing, you know, all of those different things, all those cliches, right? That we we always use for Kurt. Um, I think those apply to Donovan as well, and and I think he's a more athletic version of Kurt, right? And so I, it, it's going to be interesting to see kind of where he fits to. John has a very interesting. He says, "What are the duties of a grad assistant?" Uh, it, mm-hmm. And and this is and and Brian would be able to answer this one better than I would because he obviously coached at the college level. You played at the college level, um, but more or less, and I'll just you can get into more detail. More or less, they're a coach as well. They're just not mm-hmm. considered. They can't go on the road and recruit, right? Uh, they yep. can recruit on campus. They just can't go on the road and recruit. But mm-hmm. you know, for example, when the offensive line uh, goes half line, right? So if you've got. Uh, center, left guard, left tackle, and then you've got center, right guard, right tackle, and you've got two groups going. The grad assistant for the offensive line is working with one while Harry Hestan right. works with the other. Uh, I believe there's a grad assistant that works with the quarterbacks as well. And so when Tommy Reese is doing his offensive coordinator stuff when they're in team, then the grad assistant is working with the quarterbacks specifically, right? Uh, sure. We talked about Nick Lazinski He was a grad assistant for a long time. They had full faith that he could take that linebacking group, linebacker core, and work with those guys when the defensive coordinator was doing other things, right? So they're absolutely a coach. Uh, they're just not a full-time coach. And so their responsibilities are that, of, are that of a coach. They're just not paid like it.
2: Exactly. Yeah, and I mean, there there's some grad assistants that have a big role, like kind of Vince said. But I think it's also dependent, right, on what the quality of each grad assistant is. Yeah. If there, if it's somewhat like, I mean, Harry, hestan is a little bit of a control freak, right? Which he has every right to be because he's been doing it a long time. And he's been great at what he does with him for a, having a grad assistant for a theory. Like he might not give them as much freedom to do right. a, a drill off to the side. They might get not give him as much freedom to just help with practice plans and do all that type of stuff. So they are absolutely, like Vince said, they are a great resource to have if the, if you have the trust in it. Sometimes it's just, you know, how much does a particular coach trust some of the grad systems? But in theory, like you said, I mean, they're not going off campus to recruit, they're going to do some of that due diligence on, on the, on the, uh, right on the campus when when recruits do make trips but it's you know just a typical thing like they're just they're a part of the practice scheduling they're a part of the practice procedures they do everything that you would expect a coach to do it's just they're a part they're more a part of the machine than running the machine if that makes sense john
1: wow, that's a great analogy i like that benjamin has a question what do you think about the new practice layout well i was surprised Uh, I will say that we're so used to them doing, uh, you know, on air as a team to start things off. And as a media member, it's always nice to see who that first, second, third team is. And so you can have more fodder to talk about and and put on message boards and things like that. Um, But it was pointless. I I personally never saw from a coaching standpoint, the point of it. I guess what? Everybody looks like an all American against air. Um, And so that, that never really impressed me all that much. From a media standpoint, I enjoyed that. Uh, I like it. I think it was it was quick. It was fast paced. It was competition oriented. Uh, it was an emphasis on the things that are important: turnovers, getting off press. You know, all those things we talked about yesterday. I'm on board. Now we're gonna have an opportunity to watch an entire practice on Saturday, next Saturday, eight days from now. Um, and so I will, I'm sure I will form a, either a, uh, a stronger opinion in a good way, or, you know, have a different opinion altogether and, you know, on how things go from a full practice standpoint. Mm -hmm.
2: Yeah, nah, that's really funny, Vince. It's like, you know, the first day, everyone's so excited. But, I mean, how how often have you, as a coach, and I know this happened to me a bunch, you see the guy kid on the first day just like in, in a helmet or just in cleats, and they just look like a million bucks. They're running around. Everything's great. And then the pads come on, and it is not the same deal at
1: all. It happened every single year. Because in the summertime, what are you doing? You're doing seven on sevens, especially at high school. You're going to seven on seven tournaments. You're doing all these different things. You're like, wow, this kid is popping. He is doing a great job. You know, he's going to play for us this year. And you put the pads on and you're like, oh, okay. Well, that's different. Um, and you know, you, you get that with some quarterbacks as well. Like there was, there was a quarterback in this area who would in seven on sevens, he was just just throwing dimes and just doing all these different things, but he would kind of like drift. Right. And he would he would drift and he would throw a bunch of short stuff where in a real football game, there's a bunch of linebackers standing right there as well as a defensive line. And you can't drift out of the pocket left and right. And so when it came to an actual game, kid was terrible. He was was horrible. Right. And so the same thing happens with like, uh, you know, slot receiver type guys and and things of that nature, because you do all these short little routes and then you make a guy miss or whatever. And then you put the pads on. You're like, okay, well, you're not a real football player, so you know, it is what it is. So that's, that's why there's blind football leagues. That's yes, that is, that. That is exactly right. Uh, a recruiting question from JoJo. He says, "Who's going to be our first O-line commit, and would there be a run of offensive lineman commitments after that?"
2: Yeah, uh, it's it's funny, Jojo. Me and Brian were actually talking about this yesterday. It's there's an oper- there's a chance, and and I'm not going to put this into the universe, but so <laughs> here, all right. I'll start. I'll start here. I'll start here. I'm sorry. To 2023, I think the first offensive lineman that has potential to commit is probably Charles Jagasaw out of Illinois. I think that he is. I think Notre Dame is the clear favorite. I think it's just a matter of when he wants to make the commitment. I would say that they are definitely the leader right this second. I also feel good about where they are with Monroe Freeling. I think they are in a solid position with guys like Sullivan Absher, but I do think that Charles would be my first guy to commit if if it was today. And then I think that after that, you're gonna see guys like Monroe Freeling and others that are in that, you know, they're they're close. They're close, right? Like there are they're probably late spring, summer type of commits. And I'm not predicting that all of them go there. I'm just saying that right this second, I think Charles is the clear leader as Notre Dame. I think that Monroe is, if they're not number one, they're one B for him right now between him and between Notre Dame and Clemson. So I think Charles is probably the first guy to commit, but we were actually talking, me and Brian, there's an offensive lineman that Notre Dame just offered actually in 2024 named Peter Jones, who was going to be visiting Notre Dame the beginning of next month, who, Folks, I'm just putting it out there. Okay. I'm not predicting this. Okay. So do not put me on the string for this if I am wrong. Okay. I think that there's a possibility that he can commit pretty early to Notre Dame. And it would not shock me if he is committed before a couple of these 2023 offensive linemen we're talking about. So there's a bold prediction, but don't hold me to it if it doesn't come true. <laughs>
1: <laughs> but does that make it bold, though, if you're not going to be held to it? I don't know.
3: Uh, yeah, I can still be bold. I just uh, have <laughs> that out in case. <laughs> <laughs>
1: All right. Sounds good. Uh, Brandon's got a pot of gold question he says uh, what pot of gold offers stood out to you the most and who are the impact talents uh, yeah who are the impact talents Notre Dame has a shot with in your opinion and I will hold on to that question because that's really a question for Ryan and he stepped away for just a moment uh brian wants to know if i was talking trash about him with him not on the show and then of course all of you came to his defense so thank you for that uh but no i wasn't talking about i said he was a very detailed question answerer which i think is accurate but you know so yeah i was talking about the boss man the boss man on the show absolutely so, uh, I believe Ryan is back. And so we got a pot of gold question, Ryan. He says, uh, what pot of gold offers stood out to you the most and who are the impact talents Notre Dame has a shot with in your opinion?
2: Um, yes. So Brandon, who are some that stood out the most? I'll tell you what, man, I, I did a lot of deep diving into some of these guys. Cause we had a little bit of a, you know, tip of who are a couple of the players that may be getting the pot of golds a little prior. So, couple guys that really stood out to me. There's this young man named Zion Reagans, and I, I probably pronounced the name wrong, but he's a wide receiver out of Georgia. Vince, as a freshman, this kid ran 10.37 in the 100 meters and 22.29 in the 200. So this kid is quite fast. I, I, he's a player that I, I talked to a little briefly. I think he is a young man that is going to want to participate in both football and track most likely um, on the next level. So... We'll see what wow. that could mean for Notre Dame, but he is a very, very talented player. I just spoke to Landon Thomas, who is a tight end in uh, in 2024, obviously out of Georgia. He is rated, I believe, by 24-7 sports as the number one tight end in the class, and he is a fantastic player out of Colquitt County. I actually just watched his film before I hopped on here. Peter Jones was a guy offensive tackle that I mentioned a little bit. He's out of Malvern Prep in Pennsylvania, 6'5", 295. A uh, player that Cochistan is on very early and likes him a ton. And there's, I mean, the defensive backboard, uh, from, from just in general, man, is is a really talented group. I mean, you got guys on there like Braden Lee out of Maryland, who I think is a really talented player. Ellis Robertson. Uh, Kayla Beasley, who's a guy that we've had a, we actually had a, a little piece on prior to even, the uh, getting offered. So there's, I've had the opportunities to talk to a lot of different players. Uh, Nigel Smith's one of my favorite players that I've watched and talked to so far out of Texas. He's a big defensive lineman who I think is eventually going to be a three tech, but right now he's 6'5, 265 pounds. And he is, um, like I said, out of Texas, had 10 sacks, I think, as a sophomore. He works with Sean Smith, who is a former NFL defensive lineman who I know a little bit. So a lot of talented players, man. I think it was like 50 offers or so that went out yesterday. So I'm still trying to get the full context of every single player. But those are a few guys that really stood out because it's been a lot of deep dive and, and uh, you know, wor- you know talking to players and trying to figure out a little bit of backstory stuff for them right now. So it's uh it's been a whirlwind, but it's been a lot
1: of fun. Just when you thought your work was done, right? It just <laughs> amps right back up.
2: Vince, I wrote, was, I put it out there yesterday uh, just to like mess around, but I wrote 12 articles yesterday, man. That was the most I've ever written in my life. It was nuts, man. Was Dang. See, yeah. see,
1: it's a good thing Brian got you on salary, right?
2: <laughs> yeah. I, I, I earned my really? paycheck yesterday, yeah. man. I earned it yesterday. That's right. That's
1: right. Oh man, I'm going to let you read this one because I will butcher these two names. So you Shit. go, buddy.
2: All right, we got uh, Charles Jagasaw versus Samson Okanlola, who is more complete right now, who has the highest upside. Uh, I think I would take Okanlola in both categories, to be honest. So, Jagasaw's out of Illinois, Okanlola's out of Massachusetts. So, they are both big kids. Samson's right around six foot six, 300 pounds, 295, somewhere in that ballpark. Jagasaw's listed at like 6'6, 308. So, he's a little more. I think, physically put together, although Samson's obviously a big kid as well. They both have incredible length. I think in the ideal world, though, Samson is the long-term offensive tackle, and is probably right tackle or inside to guard. But I think that both are tremendous prospects. But I do think right now... Lola is a better pass protector than jagasaw jagasaw might be a better run blocker but i think that okanlola is is good in both areas right now and jagasaw is a little more of a work in progress from a technical standpoint as a pass blocker so i would take Lola as complete right now and i think that Lola has maybe the highest upside of any offensive lineman in the 2023 class because he's i mean he is 6'6 300 pounds Vines for arms, supposedly has like a 7-1 wingspan, and he's got really good foot quickness. So I I think I would take Oak, uh Oak and Lola in both of those um both of all those right. aspects.
1: All right, good deal. Domer Grizz back in the saddle. He says, What position group are you the least curious to see during the blue gold game? Obviously, we all want to see the O-line, wide receivers, quarterbacks, etc. But who's last on the list? For me, it's tight end. I I know. <laughs> That's a good one, yeah. That's I know pretty much what I'm going to get from the tight end position. Um, and so I am not overly enthusiastic. Questions, I'm not overly enthusiastic. It's the lead, it's the bottom of the list for me.
2: Yeah, that's got to be the answer, right? It's got to be the that's answer. It's just a lot of I question was,
1: marks all around, right?
2: Yeah, I was even thinking about defensive line since you know, a couple obviously Foskey and, and Adam Alola are going to be Jason Adam Alola, that is, are going to be limited, so it's like. Does that matter as much? But then I do want to see the depth, though, that's behind him. Right.
1: So, absolutely. Yeah.
2: I think it's tight end. I think it's tight ends. Cause I mean, you, I mean, we hey, all want to know.
1: Commodity. The, yeah. I mean, we all want to know who the number two guy is going to be. Uh, sure. Cause I, I think that's going to be important. But I mean, I, I have faith in whoever gets that spot. So I, I'm not that worried about it.
2: I, and I would typically say like a kicker or a punter, but that's a big Ooh. question mark for Notre Dame this year, too. So,
1: yeah, that's true. That's true. Timothy Miller says, how will Notre Dame's offensive line match up against Ohio State's defensive line? Neither one was great last year. Who wins the battle? This is an interesting one, and this is going to sound very rose-colored glasses of me, but I'm going to say the Notre Dame offensive line for two reasons. Number one, I think they're, they're with the new coach and with the experience that they're bringing back from last year to this year, I think it's going to be a huge upgrade off, off, off on the offensive line. And then as far as the Ohio State defensive line, I mean, obviously, Notre, I mean it's not um, well, that, that that argument doesn't make a whole lot of sense anymore. So I'm gonna retract my second argument. I like where Notre Dame offensive line is going to be. Uh, Notre Dame does have a former, you know, Ohio State defensive coach coaching de- you know defense on for Notre Dame right now. So maybe there's some some tricks and things that he can bring to the table a little bit against uh, you know, to help out the offensive line, but even without that, I still like Notre Dame's offensive line. I think that that's a, a position battle that Notre Dame can win.
2: Yeah, no, I agree. They they asked us a similar question on the last podcast I was on with Brian, and I picked Notre Dame in that instance as well because Ohio State's all defensive line was not great last year, and they're also going to be breaking in you know a new defensive coach, so like it could get better. But I really – I mean, and this is more from an NFL perspective because I watched Zach Harrison this past year because I – Thought maybe he would come out. So I watched him a little bit earlier. He decided to go back. Just wasn't great last year, man. Just wasn't great. And I know they have him. They have the JT kid who was a freshman last year who played a little bit. He had flashes, but, like, it wasn't overly great. They're losing Haskell Garrett. So they have, uh, I think his name's Talik Williams going back, who had some flashes as a freshman as well. But I just – I don't know. Nothing, nothing that I watched the Ohio state defensive line got me overly excited, to be honest. And obviously I'm a little closer to the Notre Dame situation. So I have a little higher expectations for how much they could improve, but I think it is a real thing to assume that Harry, he is going to have a huge point of emphasis and a huge bump to this group early on in the, in their, in the tenure here. And I think that they have a lot of talent also to work with. And I, I, I just do. I do think that they're going to come out and they're going to look a lot better. And I'm just not sold that the Ohio state guys are as good as their billing is for them.
1: That's fair. Josh Miller says, Vince, do you see Drake Bowen playing football for four years or do you think he'll stop and concentrate on baseball in a few years? Good luck on your baseball season. Well, thank you for the good luck. Uh, we actually have our first game uh, a week from Tuesday. So I'm really pumped up about that. Uh, but anyway, do I, you know what? It just really depends on his trajectory and how things are going in both sports. You know, if, if he's buried on the depth chart on the football team, you know, maybe he looks at, at the baseball route, if he's really excelling over there. So, or vice versa, if he's, if he's buried on the depth chart for the baseball team, because he's not able to do fall ball and he's not able to, you know, really put in the effort, uh, you know, that baseball may require, right. Then maybe he sticks with football, right. So, I just think that there's too many question marks because we know and and Ryan can attest to this how important it was for him to be able to do both and he's really good at both there's no question about it um it just depends on how things you know go over the next couple of years as to whether he's going to have a decision to make while he's still in school or whether he's going to have that decision to make after four years of both so I I don't know. I mean, I, I, I know he's really good at both and will that, you know, we'll see how that translates to the next level.
2: Yeah. I don't, I don't have enough context to be honest. I I haven't seen Drake play baseball. I know obviously he's good enough to play it at a major college level. So it's kind of a wait and see situation, which a lot of those players are. So
1: absolutely. Absolutely. I I will say I'm glad that both staffs could work together to make sure that they got him in a Notre Dame uniform, whether it's baseball or football, uh, it takes, cause there, look, there's plenty of college coaches out there that won't work with other guys and they don't want to share their athletes. I mean, that's a legit thing. Um, and so I'm happy that, you know, and, and I will give credit where credit is due. That started with Brian Kelly. Um, and then it, it translated obviously over to, uh, to coach Freeman. Um, you know, and so I, I, I appreciate the fact that they were able to work together cause it was a big pickup for both. Raymond Roberts is Howard Cross related to the Howard Cross who played for the Giants?
2: Yes, yep, that's his son. That's his son. So um, hey. Howard Cross was was a really good tight end for the Giants back in the day. Howard Cross that plays for Notre Dame is his son. Yes.
1: The worst two K big men HD is Notre Dame still getting a transfer wide receiver?
2: Not that I've heard. I know that they were talking about, I think there was a division two or division three kid that they were talking to for a little bit, but I don't know if anything ever transpired out of that. So um, to my, to my knowledge, as of now, I I don't expect any transfer wide receivers. And I think that Joe Wilkins coming back healthy is, is a big bump to the group right now.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And I I don't, I just don't think it's necessary. I mean, is now granted if there's injuries and things of that nature, obviously then that changes, Uh, but the fact that Lindsey and Davis and Wilkins all came back, I think that that lessened the need to hit the transfer portal uh, because I also don't want to stunt the growth of those some of those young guys I think these young guys can play the game uh, and I want to see those guys on the field
2: and and plus they would be summer transfers at this point anyway because they will obviously they're not in for this winter right. s- winter session anyway so.
1: Uh, we have a hypothetical here from uh, Mike Reddy. He says, if Sonny Styles didn't reclassify and he signed with Notre Dame, how would it have affected the linebacker recruiting?
2: I think they'd be done right now. The recruiting would be done if they landed. Because if Sonny Styles was in the 2023 class, which Notre Dame working on now, they already have commits from Drake Bowen that we talked about a little bit, who kind of profiles more as a Will Rover type. Mostly Will, though, in my opinion. And then they have Preston Zinter out of Massachusetts, who's a true Mike. Sonny Styles would be that rover in this class, right? So I think they would probably be done. I think they would probably still kick the tires with, with – well, not kick the tires. I think they would still go after Samuel Mpemba out of IMG Academy, who Notre Game's in a good position with because he can potentially play every linebacker spot, or he can also play Viper. So he has versatility to him. But I think that you would feel a lot different about – the rover recruitment, because Sonny obviously profiles to that position pretty well in Notre Dame's defense if he was a part of the hypothetical.
1: JoJo asked, with the previous regime focusing on Hawaii recruits since Teo, uh, do you see the new staff focus on Hawaii or more to Texas, Atlanta, Northeast areas, DMV, etc.?
2: Well, for the, for this cycle, for 2023, I think Northeast has been a big priority because this is kind of a I mean, Brian's talked about this a bunch. This is kind of an a odd year in the sense that there is a lot of Northeastern talents. Like we talked about, talking about Dante Moore. It's not often that there is a quarterback that is a five-star status that's playing football two hours away from Notre Dame, right? And they've hit Massachusetts very hard so far and, and you know, it big kick kicking the tires with a lot of guys up there like Samson Ekolo, They have Preston Zinter in the class. They like Ronan Hannafin. They are recruiting um, Treori, the defensive end out, out, of, out of Massachusetts as well. So I think JoJo for this next cycle, Northeast is, is a big thing. I think that the DMV, the, the Delaware, Maryland, Virginia area is going to be huge as well. They're on guys like, um, like Jason Moore and Devin Houston, the guys that are from that area. So I think that they have a big priority in the DMV. And I think Texas especially has been a big priority because I did an article for Irish Breakdown, I think last week or the week before, where I just talked about Notre Dame's uh, fingerprints on Texas. And it was, so I took the last 10 cycles for Notre Dame. The first five of those cycles, they had signed nine players out of the state of Texas in five years, nine in five years, which is a solid number. The next, the last five, the previous five years, they'd only signed three Texas players in five years, which I kind of just showed you that Notre Dame just left Texas for whatever reason. And this year now, You're seeing it. They already have Peyton Bowen that is committed in the class, the safety out of Denton Geyer. They are on Braylon James out of DelVal in Texas, who uh, they feel really good about right now. They're still recruiting uh, guys like Jaden Greathouse. Malik Muhammad was a guy that's on the board. They've cooled on him a little bit, but they are still kind of doing their due diligence in Texas. So I do think Texas is a big priority. I think DMV is a priority for for sure. And I think that 2023 especially – the Northeast is a huge priority because it's just kind of an abnormal year for that, for that, for the recruiting in that area.
1: We did have a super chat, Ryan, that I wanted to get to, and I apologize for not getting to it sooner, but our guy, Brandon, uh, so thank you for the super chat. And I think he asked this question a little earlier and then he added it to a super chat, but he kind of slightly changed it. So you can take this whatever direction you want. Uh, What offers from yesterday stood out to you the most? Who are the impact players Notre Dame needs to have at the top of their board in 24 and who are your favorites?
2: Yeah. I mean, I feel like I can give you a favor probably at almost every position. A couple of the guys I talked about already talked about Zion Reagans out of Georgia, who's a 10, 300 meter guy as a, as a freshman over there in Georgia. And he's a very athletic, fast wide receiver. He's a guy that stood out to me just on that, on that sense. Micah Hudson's a wide receiver out of Texas. And we just talked a little bit about their, their, Authority in Texas. They need to obviously keep recruiting them big time. Emmett Mosley is a corner uh, is a wide receiver out of California who also can play defensive back on the next level. And he's a player that his father played for Notre Dame during the 90s. So he had and his mom actually played on the soccer team and I think was the all time leading scorer for the soccer team as well. So he's obviously a legacy kid. Tyseer Denmark is another wide receiver out of Pennsylvania. He's Roman Catholic. If you guys are familiar with Roman Catholic, that's where Will Fuller came from. He's a dynamic wide receiver in his own right. Landon Thomas is a guy that I think they're going to have high interest in, the tight end out of Georgia, who's a really talented football player. Peter Jones is an offensive tackle out of Malvern in Pennsylvania that Notre Dame is on early. That's a really talented football player. I really like where Notre Dame is early with Elijah rushing, who's a, a defensive end um, out out west, and he's a long 6'5", 6'6", pass rusher. Nigel Smith I think is going to be a huge priority in the class of defensive tackle. Um, yeah, so there's there's a few of the guys. I, I went a little more overboard than I was planning to, but there's, uh, there's a few names for you, Brandon.
1: <laughs> I, I sent you a message, Ryan. Um, okay. You check that for me. This is an interesting one. Uh, Rob Lobo one, two, three says, how long does Notre Dame wait for Tommy Reese to be an elite offensive coordinator? It has, it has to be this season, right? Three years should be long enough to know if he has the chops. I think that this is a very, very legitimate question based on how long he's been at Notre Dame and how, and how they pursued him to stick around at Notre Dame after only two years of being the coordinator, I think it was two years, right? Um, I, I think this year is going to tell us a lot. I really do. Now, I will say that I do think that he has the chops. I, I'll agree with Brian in that I think he did get the job a little bit early. Um, I, I would like him, I, I would have liked him to be the offensive coordinator, you know, someplace else first and then coming over to Notre Dame. Um, I, that, that would have been great, but at the same time. He has settled into the job uh, based on some conversations and things of that nature. I do think he has the chops, but we need to see it. And I, and I think this year, having the offense officially 100% to himself, no more excuses, right? We talked about Mike Mickens and the fact that he doesn't have any more excuses, right? I, I think the same thing applies here. I don't, There's no more excuses for Tommy Reese. Let's see what happens this season. Uh, but I, I think this is a huge season for Tommy Reese as an offensive coordinator.
2: Yeah, I agree. And, and you know, there's been the excuse that he was kind of, you know, stunted a little bit under Brian Kelly, just kind of abiding by what he wanted. So this is his first opportunity to show that when he's ability to be creative and to really put his imprints, he can do it. So I'm excited to see what Tommy does this season.
1: No question. All right, Ryan, it has, let's see, it has gotten to that witching hour, unfortunately for <laughs> us. The, the bell is rapidly approaching for me, so unfortunately, I have to bail, uh, which means we are going to have to end the Friday free-for-all mailbag, everybody, but uh, have no fear. Have no fear, people. We will be back next Friday with a Friday free-for-all mailbag, and we will all be in the same zip code. Um, And so I'm not exactly sure what that's going to look like, uh, but they will also be fresh off pro day as well. So uh, a lot of fun stuff to talk about. And then we will be the eve of our full practice viewing um, at Notre Dame as well. So next Friday is going to be a lot of fun. I have a feeling. So stay tuned for that. But thank you everybody for joining us on this Friday free for all mailbag. Make sure you hit that like button, uh, smash it for us. Make sure you subscribe, tell your friends about the podcast. And make sure you check out irishbreakdown.com because the articles just keep rolling in. So for Ryan Roberts, I'm Vince D'Addario. We will talk to you next time on the Irish Breakdown podcast.